be our all in all? Would you be our vision? Would you make yourself our treasure? Lord, would you give us eyes to see how precious you really are? Would you make your name holy before us and within us? Would you stir us up to where we desire nothing more than your glory, that we desire your kingdom over ours, your will over ours, your name above ours? Would you do the work that only your spirit can do in me, in us, through us? Please, Father, help us. Give us grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Kind of chuckled when uh, Chris said we'll be in Romans for another 13 years. Um, we, are, we are finishing the, 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 the greeting, the introduction this morning, Lord willing. The, the Lord could come back before I'm done with this. So, Romans 1. Starting with verse 1 through verse 7. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God which He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom... We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. called this message, Do You Have Peace? Do you have peace? There's a war going on right now. And this war is bigger than the American Revolution. It's bigger than the Civil War. It is bigger than World War One and Two, and if it comes, three combined. The casualties of this war are tremendous, uncountable, devastating. And here's another thing: this war is something that every single one of you and me are involved in. In fact, we are born in the battle. It's not the fight of this ethnicity versus that ethnicity. It's not the fight of the rich 
or the poor. It's, it's not the fight of the left versus the right. In fact, this battle, this war, this struggle, this conflict that I'm talking about is the very cause of every other thing that I just mentioned. It is the reason for every war, every skirmish, every conflict, and every division. What is this battle? Titus 3.3 says this, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is the state of our world. This was the state of those in Rome that Paul was writing to, this is the human condition. I mean, listen to how the Spirit of God summarizes humanity. Hated by others and hating one another. Passing our days in malice. Spending our time with envy. The war is the war that is in your heart. It's the battle of hatred and envy and anger and conflict. It's what causes you to be angry with other people. To want what they have and not be satisfied with what you have been given. Children, have you ever gotten into a fight with another kid over a toy? You know why? Because of this very thing. Why are there struggles and conflicts in relationships? Because of this. People hate each other. They envy each other. They spend their days fighting. It's a competition. Who has the biggest house? Who has the nicest car? Who makes the most money? Who's the funniest? Who's the smartest? Who's the strongest? Who can be the most successful? A dog-eat-dog world, hated by others and hating one another. The conflict is constant. And the reality is all around us, and if we're honest, it's within us as well. We get more clues when we look at what James 4 1 says. What causes quarrels? If you listen to the media, they'll say systemic problems. That's what causes quarrels. There are haves and have-nots. That's what causes quarrels. But what does the Bible say? What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. What's the cause of every war? What's the cause of every battle? What's the cause of every argument? Why is their strife among us and within us because of this, 
Because within our very hearts, there are passions waging war. There are desires that we want what we can't have. We're not content. We don't have peace. We are at war within ourselves and with one another. And it's everywhere. Are you at war in your life? Is there strife in your relationships? Jesus lays out even more reason, more clues. Mark 7.20 He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. This world is filled with hearts like this. And when everyone is born with a heart like this and we all get together, what should we expect but conflict? What should we expect but war? The battles that you see around you come from the battles that are taking place within you. But that's not the root. That's a fruit. What is the ultimate root for the war within our heart that comes out to hatred amongst each other? It goes back to the very reason of our existence and how we are not living up to what we were created for. The reason why we have conflict and war with each other and within ourselves is because of what it says here in James 4. For you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There it is. The problem is, we come into this world as an enemy of God. And because we are an enemy of God by nature, it flows from that we will have war within ourselves and be at war with one another. The stemming root, the foundational point is we were created in the image of God to glorify Him. We have rebelled against Him. Therefore, there is conflict with the very One who made us and it overflows into a lack of satisfaction, into a lack of joy, and a lack of peace in our world. This is the problem. So what do you need to put an end to all this fighting? What is needed to face any circumstance without quarreling or coveting or murder or complaint? What do we need? What do you need? What does this world need? What did the church in Rome need? Peace. Peace. Do you have peace? Are you at peace? To the very core of your being, is there peace? 
Paul says here, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We say the word peace often. I grew up, uh, y'all know this, I grew up in the, in the ghetto, and the way we would greet one another is say, we say peace. <laughs> we see each other peace, we leave each other peace. Now, I didn't really know what that meant. It's just something you say. Uh, in the 60s, peace signs all over, peace, peace. But what does it mean? What does the Bible mean when it says peace? So if you're taking notes, the first heading here is peace defined. What is it? The word that's used here is the idea of harmony, completeness, where where something was broken, shattered, and it is put back together totally. Whether that's relationship, whether that's an, an, an inward reality, peace between individuals, security, safety, harmony. It's a complex word. It's actually used 85 times in the New Testament alone. As I said, it is the literal picture of binding or joining together what is broken or divided. Peace implies that you are so put together, that you have it all together. That's where that term comes from. You have it all together that it doesn't matter what's going on around you You are the same. When you're sick, when you're suffering, when you're impoverished, inwardly, nothing changes because you have true peace. The Greek word uh, is where we get the word serene. Some people name their daughters Irene. All of that comes from this word, which is this complete peace that means conflict has ended and therefore inward tranquility, calmness is there. It's the end of war. It's the removal of enemies. It's inward rest and joy in the face of anything that comes against you. Do you have this kind of peace? Are you at peace with God? That's a common phrase, right? You need to make your peace with God. Have you? All right, well, so peace defined. Second heading, peace described. What does it look like? It's not enough to have a definition. I like examples. Illustrations help me. What does this peace look like in the life of a human being? How about we look at Acts? Acts 16, 22. Acts 16, 22 says that the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, 
ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Here you have Paul and Silas, faithful, preaching the gospel. And what happens? The authorities strip their clothes, order them to be beaten ferociously. This is not the kind of discipline that a loving father gives to his child. No, this is with severe prejudice, beating these men. Then it uses the term, threw them into prison. I don't think that is a um, figurative term. I think they were literally thrown into a cell after they have been beaten, humiliated, stripped naked, Fasten their feet in the stocks. That is a very difficult situation to be in. Wouldn't you agree? Now, what do we find these men doing? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. That's peace. That's what peace looks like. They have been through an intense ordeal. I don't know if any of you have ever been beaten with rods, stripped of your clothes, and thrown into a prison to have your feet shackled. I never have. They did, and they had such peace that at midnight, they're praying and singing in the company of others. That's not the only example. Second Samuel 10. You can turn there or you can just follow along, write it down for later. Second Samuel 10:9. When Joab saw that the battle was set against him. Okay, so now we have a literal battle. A literal army. Threat of death. When Joab saw that the battle was set against him, both in front and in the rear. We call that being what? Surrounded. (laughs) That's not a good place to be. You don't want, if you are in battle, you don't want your back and your front covered. This is not good. When he saw that was a situation, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in the charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. You have two armies against one. This is not fair fighting. And he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people and the cities of our God and may the Lord do what seems good to him. That's peace. Surrounded, in danger, outnumbered, unsure of what's going to happen. Surrounded. And yet, peace. 
sisters, I'm not going to leave you all out. Let's, let's look at a, an example of a, of a young lady. Turn to Esther. Esther 4.12. We're looking at peace described. What does it look like? What is this unwavering, unshakable peace? This completeness. Esther 4.12. If you're familiar with Esther, you know the story. She's married to the king. He's made her his queen. There's a plot against all the Jews to have them all destroyed. She's the one person who can speak up. But there's a rule. The king has to hold out his golden scepter. And if he doesn't, you will be put to death. He has to call you to his presence. You can't just walk into the king, even if you're the queen. They told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. That's peace. She's afraid. King didn't call her. She didn't know how this was going to end up. She's weak. And yet she had peace. What pattern do you see in these examples? Notice, it's not, peace is not the removal of pain or trial or difficulty or suffering. Every example that we just looked at had all of that, and in fact, it almost intensified as we continue to read. Peace is not the removal of trouble. The problems are there, the danger is there, the threats are there, but there's something else there. There's a calm. Peace is there. Do you have this? Do you see any element of this in your life at all? Or are you constantly afraid and worried and panicking and fretting? The anxiety constantly weighs you down. Is that your default? Or do you have a default of peace? You may say, well, those are Bible heroes. (laughs) Of course they had peace. That's the Bible. Well, let's take another angle on this then. First, I would say, don't think that way because those are human beings. But I understand the, the mindset. Let me ask you this. Have you ever burned yourself? Like, water's too hot, trying to wash your hands, or you touch the stove, the pan by accident, Texas. You get in the car, hot day, and that buckle, right, that seat buckle touches you. That is some hot stuff. We naturally recoil from heat, 
right? We, we don't like the idea of having our flesh burned, even the smallest bit. John Rogers, on his last night in his prison cell, before he was about to be burned at the stake, he slept so soundly that his jailer had to wake him up. What is that? Not only that, but he had one request. Can I please see my wife and my 11 children before I'm burned to death? His youngest was literally an infant. They told him no. He didn't know how it was going to end up. Now, if you are familiar with the the martyrdom of John Rogers, you know that God gave such supernatural grace that it was as though he didn't feel anything. He was washing his hands and God gave him just grace. He didn't know that. He knew he was going to the fire. On his way to the flames, the Lord gave such kindness that his wife and children were along the road and he was able to see them and give them encouragement. But he didn't know any of that was going to play out that way. All he knew is that he was going to be burned the next day by people who hated him and he couldn't even see his wife and his 11 children before he died. And yet, he's sleeping so soundly they have to wake him up. You ever had to wake someone up? Come on, wake up. Some of us, we can't sleep if we have a meeting tomorrow that we're called. This man's going to be burned alive and he can't. Can't even be waking up. Peace. Peace. Some of you all are familiar with Fox's book of the martyrs. Listen listen to this. this. This is early church. At the martyrdom of Faustines and Jovita, brothers and citizens of Brescia, their torments were so many and their patience so great that Calarius, a pagan, beholding them, was struck with admiration and exclaimed in a kind of ecstasy, Great is the God of the Christians, for which he was apprehended and suffered a similar fate. Marcus Aurelius, who was made kind of a glowing figure in the Gladiator movie, this is the true man, followed about the year of our Lord, 161, a man of nature more stern and severe, and although in study of philosophy and in civil government no less commendable, yet toward the Christians sharp and fierce, by whom was moved the fourth persecution. The cruelties used in this persecution were such that many of the spectators shuddered with horror at the sight and were astonished at the Peace of the sufferers. Some of the martyrs were obliged to pass with their already wounded feet over thorns, nails, sharp shells, etc., upon their points. Others were scourged until their sinews and veins lay bare, and after suffering the most excruciating tortures that could be devised, they were destroyed by the most terrible deaths 
Germanicus, a young man, but a true Christian, being delivered to the wild beasts on account of his faith, behaved with such astonishing courage and peace that several pagans became converts to a faith which inspired such fortitude. You see what's being said here, right? They were suffering so badly that the Romans, who loved blood and gore and screamed all the more, the more violent it was, were horrified by what Marcus Aurelius was pouring out upon these Christians, and yet they suffered so intensely, but with such peace, that unbelievers were converted by seeing what kind of power is this? How can they have such peace in the face of such suffering? This is the kind of peace that Paul is praying constantly for the churches to have. Grace to you and peace Grace to you and peace and peace. Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is what the Romans were facing. Brothers and sisters, don't you want this kind of peace in your life? I do. I don't see enough of this kind of peace in my own life. But this same peace can be yours. This is the kind of peace that is promised to you, that is provided for you, that is available to you. When the phone calls, and none of us know what one phone call will bring to our homes, right? You and I may be one phone call away from a day like Job had. Just one phone call away. One text message away. You know that trials are coming for you. You know that persecution is coming for you. You know that dark days are coming your way. And when it comes, don't you want to have this kind of peace? Don't you want to have this kind of resolve? Don't you want to have this kind of response? We love to sing it when peace like a river attendeth my way or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, what? It is well, it is well with my soul. Do you see any of that in your life? Or do you suffer just like the world does? The world wants this too. They, they long for it. They desire it. In fact, that's the third heading. Peace desired. This is what everyone wants and they're searching for it. The question that's constantly being asked is, where does peace come from? Where is peace found? Where can I find peace? They see the problems. They will acknowledge the problems. But they don't know where to find the answers. Some people think peace comes from doing good deeds. Helping people, being kind, being a philanthropist, right? If, if, if I do enough good stuff, then I will feel good about it. 
I took philosophy in college, and they had an entire genre of how to have peace. And they said one of the ways is by doing acts of kindness for others. That will give you some type of self-satisfaction. You will feel good about yourself. Peace. There was a man who was returning home. He saw a group of men attacking another man. He said, that's not right. So what does he do? He jumps in to help. They all turned on him and murdered him. Another story. It's Friday night, 23-year-old Kenneth Chambers stopped to help an elderly deacon push his disabled car to a safe spot. As it turns out, while helping, someone pulled up and opened fire on them. Kenneth was fatally wounded in his neck, and the deacon ran and ducked. Chester Sheriff Max Dorsey says Linda Robinson was a good Samaritan who stopped to help George Fail and Amber Harris, who were broken down. He says, says later they killed her and stole her car. Dorsey believes both were high on meth at the time. These are only three stories within the past two months. Good Samaritans hundreds of times every year seek to help, seek to do good, and they suffer some of the most cruel and horrific responses. Trying to do the right thing. That says nothing about those who testify when a murder is committed and then the criminals get rid of the witness. A world that's full of injustice. There's phrases like, nice guys finish when? Last. No good deed goes unpunished. What is this communicating? You do good, it may not go good for you. So if you think, I will find peace by doing good, and as you do good, the response is turmoil and conflict and pain and suffering, is that really the pathway that leads to peace? No. Ask the soldiers who came home from Vietnam seeking to do what was good if they found peace when they returned home. Where does peace come from? Some people say, well, no, it doesn't come from doing good things. It comes from having financial security. Right? I mean... Appreciate Dave Ramsey. What's the name of his thing? Financial Peace University, right? Some good stuff there. Is this where peace comes from? Having every need and every want met. Having all of your, your bills paid, your bank accounts full, your investments and stocks and bonds are diversified. You have a nice portfolio. You have land. Is this where peace is found? Three names. Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk. Aside from being billionaires, do you know what they all have in common? Divorced. And you would think, 
27 years of marriage for Bill Gates, 25 years for Jeff Bezos. Elon Musk was married three times, twice to the same lady. You would think, well, they have everything. They want for nothing, literally. They, they could buy, they, they have so much money, they could give a billion dollars to everyone on the face of the earth and still be a billionaire. Think about that. And yet, conflict, strife, unhappiness, depression, all throughout their lives. On the surface, everything seems happy. The three richest men in the world, and yet no peace. Mike Tyson had over $100 million when he was 21 years of age. And you know what he said? He said, I was the least happy when I had the most money. He said, anyone who thinks that you're going to find happiness and peace from having money never had money before. Forbes magazine put it this way, there seems to be something about extreme success that puts one at higher risk for depression. Depression. Perhaps because it's so pressurized, so lonely, or get this, this is not Bible, this is Forbes magazine, or so empty. It triggers depression in those you'd least expect it. In fact, some of the most successful people in history have suffered from relentless, incapacitating depression. But we didn't need Forbes magazine or Mike Tyson or anyone else to tell us this because the Bible said it thousands of years ago in Ecclesiastes 5.10 when it says, He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This is also vanity. Where is peace found? It's not found in doing good deeds. It's not found in financial security. They say, okay, you know what? You're right. All of that money and stuff, it causes problems. What you need to find peace is simplicity. The simple life. Scale down. Declutter. Buy a van. Convert it into a home. The van life. RV life. Get a bus. Get off the grid. Move into your own compound. That's the way. Be self-sufficient. Again, good things. But is this where peace is found? It doesn't take much time or much searching to look behind one of the doors of these tiny houses to find the same thing. Strife, conflict, and even murder. In fact, they are doing reports now on this, saying that social media makes living in a camper van look like the simple life. The reality is it's a lot more complicated and a lot darker. And the stories continue to pour in that they give you this Instagram life of beautiful sunsets and beaches and they're just happy and smiling and everything's right. But when the camera is turned off, what you find in these people and in their relationships is constant strife and aggravation and discontent and anger and violence. And if you've been watching the news over the last two months, you know the story of this van life couple. And suddenly the woman goes missing and then the guy goes missing and then she's found strangled and he's found after a massive manhunt. 
And it says this, While the couple's online postings made the journey appear perfectly idyllic, the strain of having been together nonstop for months on end had an effect, escalated tensions between the two. The world is looking for peace. They look for peace in doing good deeds and trying to help people. They look for peace in financial security. They look for peace in the simple life. They look for peace in spirituality, meditation, zen, lighting incense, that and the other. They look for peace in diets, eating this plant-based this or only meat. They look for peace in self-esteem. I need to tell myself that I'm good. Positive thoughts, positive confession, the power of self, all of these things. And yet suicide is at the highest it's ever been. We're in an opioid crisis. Why? People are trying to numb the pain. They're trying to silence it. Let me take this in my body or smoke this or drink that or do that. What is it? It is a nonstop search and quest for peace. And at the end of it, they find nothing but emptiness and darkness. Do you have peace today? Are you searching in any of these things or a host of others to find peace? If I gave you a cup with a hole in the bottom of it, would you be able to quench your thirst? No. Broken cisterns that hold no water. It's a mirage. Children, you know what a mirage is? Have you heard that term? What's a mirage, right? We're in Texas, it's hot. So a mirage is, this typically happens in deserts, where someone is walking and after so long of walking and there's no water, the ground begins to shimmer and it looks like there's water. It looks like there's an oasis just a few steps ahead. And so they keep walking and they keep walking. They think just a few more steps and I'll be there. A few more steps and I'll be able to get to the water. But there is no water. It's a mirage. It's an illusion. The heat is causing their eyes to play tricks on them. And that is what the world's quest for peace is like. They keep thinking, if I just make a little bit more money or if I just try another idea or I go to this session, or I read this book, or if I talk to this person, or if I try this thing, I will finally find it. And what they find is a mirage. So where is peace found? Peace discovered. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Where is peace found? What does this verse tell us? It literally gives us the treasure map to the treasure of treasures. He has given us the location. Where is it found? Adrian Rogers says this, Biblical peace is not the subtraction of problems from life. It's the addition of power to meet those problems. You don't keep this peace This peace keeps you. It's peace that passes understanding. You can't get it from a bottle. You can't get it from a syringe. You can't get it from a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a well-meaning friend, or a book. You can't even get it from a principle. You get it from God. Where is peace according to our verse? 
from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first clue we get in having this amazing gift of peace is that this is only for those who can call God their Father. It doesn't just say grace to you and peace from God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. That's key. Is God your Father? How do you even know? 1 John 3 tells us, by this it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. In other words, there are two families and only two families on the face of this earth. Children of God and children of the devil. And every single person is born into this family with the devil as their father. How do we know that? Because John 1.11 says, He came to his own, his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I know we live in a time where people say, everyone's God's child, we're all born God's child. That's not what the Bible says. Let God be true and everyone else be a liar. The Bible says here, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, meaning this doesn't come through heritage or lineage or relatives, no matter what the Hebrew Israelites tell you. It's not salvation by ethnicity. No. Nor of the will of the flesh. You can't earn this. You can't work hard enough. You can't try hard enough to make yourself a child of God. No. Not by the blood, not by the will, not by the flesh, but of God. It's a gift. Galatians 3.26, or in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Peace is found in God. But only if He is your heavenly Father. Is God your Father? If we are born children of the devil, the only way to become a child of God is through adoption. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ paid for. The reality is, we come into this world hating God. We come into this world wanting our own way. I mean, think of it this way. The Bible says that Jesus is the King of what? Kings and the Lord of Lords. That means He's in charge. That means He's the one on the throne. He rules. But when you think of your life and the decisions you make, the words you speak, the thoughts you think, do you run them by the Lord? Or do you just do whatever you want to do? The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have gone our own way. The shepherd tells us this, and we go this way.
come into this world as enemies of God. Do you like the idea that God interferes with your life? That He disrupts your plans and says, I actually want it this way? Do you like when He says no to this and yes to what He wants? By nature, we like our elbow room. And this makes God very angry. This makes God very angry because He's King and Lord. He's God. He created us for His glory. And what we do as human beings is we take His gifts, we take His kindness, we take His grace and blessings, and we use those very things to sin against Him. One example, time. Time is a gift. What do you do with your time? Do you use it for Him? Do you think about Him? Do you love Him? Do you tell others? Is He the, the all-consuming thought and the passion of your heart? Is all that you do about Him? The truth of the matter is, by nature, we don't love Him as we should. We don't serve Him as we should. We don't honor Him as we should. And this makes God angry. So what do we have? We have people who hate God, and we have a God who hates sinners. Psalm 5.4 says this, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Psalms 11.5, The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Proverbs 6.16, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. What am I describing here? War. We are enemies of God by nature, and God is saying the feeling is more than mutual. How can we have peace how can we have the peace of God? One way, you must first have peace with God. If you do not have peace with God, you will never have the peace of God. And the only way you can have the peace with God is if you surrender. If you repent and believe and trust in Jesus Christ. That's what Christ came to do. By the blood of His cross, He makes peace. He reconciles enemies. He takes the hand of His Father and He takes the hand of the sinner and He combines them together by His blood, satisfies the debt, pays the penalty, suffers the wrath, supplies all that's needed in order to bring peace between enemies. Jesus is the greatest peacemaker that has ever lived because He has squashed the greatest war that has ever been fought. The war between the sinner and the God who made them. Do you have peace with God? If so, this is where peace comes from. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Colossians 1.19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Where is peace found? Peace is found in the relationship of God as our Father, and that only comes through the sacrifice of the Son. And the Son pours out His blood that we might be forgiven, again with the promise that all who believe in Him, who trust in His death, will have peace with God. And because you have peace with God, your sins are forgiven. You will not suffer the wrath of God. You have the Spirit of God. You have the friendship of God. You've been adopted by God. You've been redeemed by God. He loves you. He's for you. He's with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Everything that goes wrong in your life is actually working for your good to make you more like Jesus. Think of this. When you have peace with God, no matter what comes your way, That doesn't change. That is why, even though they were beaten with rods, they could be singing in prison. Because they know, no matter what happens to my body, the Lord is with me. And He loves me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? This is why uh, Joab and Abishai could say, the Lord does whatever He wants. We're good because we know we have connection with him by faith. This is why Esther could say, if I perish, I perish, because that perishing will only be in this life, but I am going to be with the king of all kings forever, and no one can take that away from me. This is why John Rogers could be sleeping so soundly he had to be awakened. Why? Because he said, they may send me to a temporary fire, but I will forever be spared from the eternal fire because the Son of God took the wrath of God for me. This is why these martyrs could suffer so severely and yet have such peace because no matter what they do to the flesh, the soul is with the Lord at peace. This is the root where the fruit of peace grows. Meditate upon the relationship that you have with God. If God is your Father, what can man do to you? What threat? If they kill you, what do they do? They send you to be with the Lord and to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. If they torture you, if they put pain upon you, what is that going to do but drive you more and more into prayer? Isn't it true that when you suffer, you pray more than you ever did before? So if you bring pain to me, it's just going to cause me to go to the throne of grace to receive help in a time of need. If you take away my earthly possessions, you can't take away my spiritual ones. This is why Paul said, I have learned the secret of being without and having abundance. Why? Because I have him. I have Christ. This contentment is found in the relationship with God as Father. But then there's another aspect where he says, not just God our Father, but also the Lord, Jesus Christ. The Lord, the Lordship, that He runs your life. He puts you on a narrow path. And there's bumps on that road, and there are lions on that road, and it can be terrifying on that road. And it's narrow, and there's few that find it, and it's hard, but He's with you on it. He's with you. Obey the shepherd. P 
Peace comes from walking closely with Him. Peace comes from repenting of sin and staying close to where His voice can be heard and dwelling where the cries of Calvary can be heard and beholding the beauty of Christ and what He's done for you. Peace comes from knowing God and being known by Him, loving God and being loved by Him, knowing that the God who made all things, can anybody undo creation? Then nobody can undo the new creation. He holds you in His hands and no one can snatch you from His hands. Peace is found here in the Trinity. After all, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. God, in Romans 15.33, may the God of peace be with you all. And the Spirit of God is the very One who gives us the fruit of the Spirit. And what is one of the fruits of the Spirit? Peace. Peace comes from fellowship with the triune God. Well, my last point here, peace displayed. If you hear all of this and you're cut to the heart and you say, you know what? I haven't been walking in peace. I've been worried. I'm guilty of not resting and trusting in Him as I should. I am always looking in all these other directions instead of to Him. Well, behold the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who walked with this kind of peace perfectly. There you see Him, the storm literally raging all around Him. And where do you find Him? Asleep. Why? Because He's the Prince of Peace. Not only does He supply peace to all, but Jesus was a real man who really felt pain. But why was He not terrified though there was raging all around Him? Is because He trusted His Father. Just like He trusted His Father when He was hungry and the devil came and said, turn these stones into bread. He didn't worry. He didn't take it into His own hands because He trusted His Father. Peace comes from relationship and trust of the God who loves you, who made you, who is with you. Jesus trusted His Father. Jesus had peace when He got a negative answer to His prayer. Here He is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, is there any way that this cup can pass? Nevertheless, not My will but Yours. Three times He begged His Father that this cup would pass. And the Father said no. And yet, silently He went. Not fighting, not kicking, not screaming, none of that. He had peace even when He didn't get His way. Behold Christ. He will help you. He's stronger than you. He is able to meet you in your need to supply you with peace. He is the suffering servant. He was truly punished for good, and yet he had peace. He was truly mistreated with injustice, and he's the king who deserves all praise and worship, and yet he had peace. He was betrayed by his friends, and yet he had peace. Look to Christ Call upon Him. He will help you where you lack. Ephesians 2.13, and I'm done. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Why? For He Himself 
is our peace. Christ is our peace. Father, if there are those here who don't have peace with You, I pray, Lord, that they would repent because it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Oh Lord, our arms are too short to box with You, let alone stand before You on the day of Your great anger. But Lord, today peace can be found for every rebel here, for every enemy here, because Your Son suffered so severely. He suffered great turmoil that we might have great peace with You and the peace of You. Help us to look nowhere else for peace but in You. In Jesus' name, Amen.